0: we working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and if we're going to title this message, it'll be, Jesus, the Law, and You. Jesus, the Law, and You. Matthew chapter 5, let's find verse 17, and uh, read down to verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the Law or the Prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. My Father, we want to thank you again for this time around your word. And Father, we recognize our dependence upon you both for uh, the understanding of your word, for the application of your word. So please open it up to us uh, that when we leave here, we're, we know you a little better and we love you a little more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The biblical teaching of the, uh, the absolute uh, standard of, of, of God's word is, uh, is taking hits today. Um, kind of falling on hard times. People don't like the idea of an absolute truth. They don't like the idea that there's somebody that has the right to tell them what to do. Uh, we continually hear that idea because times have changed, and the Bible is old, and it doesn't fit into our day or our culture because it's so old, and we're so refined, and we move beyond those old archaic standards. The truth, of course, is 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 just the opposite. Uh, we we need a clear restatement of the authority of God's word just as it was uh, when jesus spoke it uh, what was recorded here through the old testament uh, as it was inspired of the spirit of god through moses and the prophets we we need to remind ourselves that though the world changes culture changes god doesn't change his word doesn't change and what god expects of us doesn't change jesus draws our attention to several important relationships uh... in this passage uh... he he draws our attention to 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 his relationship with the law jesus's relationship to the law uh... and really the laws relationship to 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 creation and time then it's our relationship to the law our relationship to righteousness uh, the law from the old testament testament is divided into three main categories and sometimes these categories will overlap a little bit so it, it's not real cut and dry but. Um, The main category, maybe the biggest, is called the moral law. It's that part of the law that deals with the moral behavior and then the penalties for violating the standard. Uh, It's kind of summed up in the Ten Commandments, but then it's further detailed in other other commandments that God gives. Uh, This part kind of applies to everybody, Jew or Gentile. There's the civil law, and this part of the law is applied to Israel and it's to guide them uh, as they're, you know, to live with one another as they enter the promised land. Then there's a ceremonial law, and that part governed uh, Israel's worship. this how they were to approach God, how they're to do the sacrificial system. And if you keep that, that, that structure in mind, it might help you understand what Jesus is talking about here. If you look at verse 17 again, this is Jesus' relationship to the law. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now now when Jesus said this, we we have to kind of operate from the presupposition that that he said this because there were some people thinking this very thing. Jesus began with, with this prohibition that his listeners not assume that he came to destroy the law and the prophets. And this is likely, you know, when you talk about the law and the prophets, it's, it's, it's the Jewish scriptures that his disciples at the crowd on the hill would have been very familiar with, but it can also mean that oral or scribal law. Now, now this is where you have to kind of pay attention because the scribes and Pharisees, they, they like to add stuff, as, 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 as Keith has mentioned. The scribal or oral law was this vast collection of rules and regulation that, that, that defined how you were to apply the law to your daily life. Uh, By the 3rd century or so, a summary of these oral laws was called the Mishnah, and then they added some commentary to that called the Talmuds. Uh, Now, if you're confused, don't feel bad. The average man on the street in Jerusalem would have been very confused with this also. The Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses was extended to a ridiculous series of, of really what amount to petty rules. Uh, they had amended the laws into a list of 248 commandments, 365 prohibitions, 613 laws. I mean, who could remember them all, let alone who could keep them? I'm sorry? Oh, does he? Tyler. All right, he's got him. Good job, Ty. He may be the only one, dude. Good for you. Now, at at first glance, it seems kind of unclear as to why the disciples would assume that he's attempting to abolish or uh, do away with the legal requirements. Why, Why did Jesus say this? Well, under the old Mosaic covenant, the law was always emphasized first. Israel had to keep the law of Yahweh, and as a result of keeping the law, then they would get the blessings, which include the land and being recipients of all the other blessings and the promises that would come with observance of the law. It was, it was very set. First you eat your dinner, then you get dessert. Okay. First you keep the law, then we can talk about the blessings. All right. um, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, he starts with dessert. He starts with the blessings of being in the kingdom of God. And, and they, they haven't heard anything about the law yet. And 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 he begins by bestowing all the blessings. That's what we see in verses 3 to 11. Blessed are you. And he does that without first giving the legal requirements to get the blessings. So we, we can presuppose then that, that if the blessings come without having to keep the law, then it would make sense to the people listening that, that you know, Jesus would have uh, would be teaching that the law would, wasn't important anymore. If you can receive the blessings without first keeping the law then what use is the law? Right? Then it need to be abolished. Why have it then? If I didn't get the blessings if I didn't have my dessert without having to eat my dinner man let's just do a dinner. Right? Ice cream all the time right? Why not? Yeah. But there were two, two problems that here, two, two crucial questions that, that we need to answer in order to understand what Jesus is talking about here, what he means for us. Uh, first of all, what does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law? He did not come to destroy the word of God, but what he came to do was to free it from the way the Pharisees and the scribes had wrongly interpreted it. One commentary says to show that he never meant to abrogate the law our Lord Jesus has embodied all its commands in his own life in his own person there was a nature which was perfectly conformed to the law of God and as was his nature such was his life. Jesus wanted to make it clear That he had authority apart from the law of Moses, but not in contradiction to the law of Moses. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, and they point to him. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's our fulfillment of the law. The promises were fulfilled uh, in, in, in Christ's birth, okay, because... We have the promise of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior. But now all the obligations of the law will be fulfilled by his life. Jesus fulfilled the doctrinal teachings of the law and the prophets in that he brought full, complete revelation. Jesus fulfilled the predictive prophecy of the law and the prophets in that he is the promised one. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So in the reality behind all the types, all the shadows, he is what all of those things pointed towards. Jesus fulfilled the moral and legal demands of the law and the prophets in that he fully obeyed them and he interpreted and applied them correctly That's what the scribes and Pharisees were not doing at this time. Jesus even fulfilled the penalty of the law and the prophets for us by his death on the cross taken the penalty we deserve for having broken god's law now the apostle paul wrote about this in romans chapter 10 and verse 4 it says for christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes now it's important that we understand the fact that the kingdom blessings right, the blessings that come from being in the kingdom they're not received by keeping the law but they're a result of our relationship with Christ. He has already fulfilled the law, so our relationship in Christ allows us to be blessed already. See, that's why the blessings are listed first. This is what they didn't understand. That 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 no longer are are we bound to, to 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 keep the law and then be blessed. No, if we're in Christ, if we're in the kingdom because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, then the blessings are already ours. And He fulfills the law for us. Now we look at verse 18. And we see the, 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 the law's relationship to, to creation and time. And, and it says, Verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, One jot or one tittle uh, Shall in no wise pass from the law Till all be fulfilled. Now, I don't want to make this unnecessarily difficult, But remember that what, what Jesus spoke in the New Testament Was recorded in Greek and Aramaic. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures were written in Hebrew. So the equivalent today would be that the dotting of one I or the crossing of one T shall not pass away until everything in the word of God is fulfilled. Okay, No part is going to be lost. No part is going to be overlooked. Nothing is going to be swept under the carpet. It's all there. That tells us that scripture, the word of God, is enduring. It lasts time and time again. When Jesus quotes from the Old Testament, he says, it is written. That's in the perfect tense, meaning it was written, it is written, it will always be written. Word of God will last. It does last. The scripture is more enduring than even the universe. was says, till heaven and earth pass, creation is going to be outlasted by the word of God. Heaven and earth shall not pass. God's word abides forever. Another commentary by the name of Clark says this. Though all earth and hell should join together to hinder the accomplishment of the great designs of the Most High, yet it shall all be in vain, for even the sense of a single letter shall not be lost. The words of God, which point out his designs, are as unchangeable as his nature itself. Now, the word of God is enduring, and it is. Then because of its enduring nature, we do not have the right to pick and choose from the word of God the parts of the word of God that we like and discharge the parts that we don't. We are not free to choose those parts we want to obey. We can't say, well, you know, I like the blessed are parts, but that whole pluck your eye out stuff, yeah, I ain't doing that. No. I like that whole my wife submitting to me thing, but, you know, I'll love her when it suits me and the way it suits me. No. We don't have the right to have that kind of approach to the word of God. We 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 must take it all, or we take nothing. And I advise you to take it all. All right. Paul said in Second Timothy three sixteen that all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. It is good for you, for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. Because the word of God lives and abides forever, then we must take it all, know it all, and obey it all the way God intended. Now that brings us to verse 19. And this is is our relationship with the law. Verse 19 says, For whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments, uh, and shall teach men so, shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven but whosoever uh, shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven and the word therefore you see in verse 19 whosoever therefore it it introduces what jesus now says is the application uh, to what he is he is just just stated of in verse uh, 17 and 18. Whosoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same is going to be the least the The smallest in the kingdom of heaven now the kingdom here is that 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 royal reign of god which has been inaugurated now but it's not yet fully consummated okay it's 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 present but not not fully and matthew uses kingdom as the idea the concept to explain god's rule over his people god has a right to rule over his people right i mean he's god right okay guys this this means yes this lets me know you're with me, okay? God has a right to rule over his people. Now, I believe when Jesus says this, he, he doesn't have specific commandments or a list of the commandments in mind, but, but he's speaking in, in general about the whole moral precepts laid out in Scripture. And with that thought in mind, he goes on to talk about the responsibility of the people of God to live in accordance with the precepts that God has laid out. God says it our obligation is to do it in Mark chapter 9 verse 41 Jesus warns that it is a very serious offense when someone might stumble in their spiritual walk because we have said something or we have done something that, that, that contradicts what the word of God says when we claim to live by the word of God. There's a danger when by our living we cause somebody else to stumble in their walk with Christ. The one who breaks the moral precepts of God's law and either by their words or their actions or their inactions teach others to break them, they're going to be the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, whether you ever stop to realize it or not, when you live with disregard for what God says is right and for what God says is wrong, you are teaching the same to others whether you ever open your mouth or not. That's a weighty responsibility we carry. But he says those who keep these moral precepts of God's law and either by their words or actions teach others the importance of keeping them then they're going to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The Christian, remember, is we're, we're done with the law as a, as a means of getting righteousness. Okay? Um, we don't keep the law so that we get in good with God. That doesn't happen anymore. Galatians 2.21 says, For if righteousness comes through the law, then, then Christ died in vain. Our righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through the law. But the law stands as the perfect expression of God's ethical character and his requirements. So, so, so the evidence of those who are great in the kingdom of God is that they have a high regard for the word of God. They have a high regard for the ethical requirements of the word of God, and they not only live them consistently in their own life, but by doing that, they teach others the importance of doing that as well. Now, if we follow the examples of Jesus, then we're not going to ask the question, do I have to keep that commandment? no that, that that's not going to be our attitude our attitude is going to be how how can i keep that commandment we will want to because we love him and we will want to express that love to him in obedience to him now we get to verse 20 this is the relationship to righteousness we have our relationship and we have the scribes and the Pharisees relationship and they had a pretty tenuous relationship with with, with righteousness here. Verse 20 says, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now the righteousness that Jesus describes in verse 20 is one of those those verses that are kind of disturbing. Right, If if your righteousness isn't better than the scribes and pharisees you're not going to make it is essentially what that verse says and and to the average jew of that day that that statement that their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and pharisees uh, is absolutely shocking to them on the surface uh, hearing this the only possible reaction that they could have was fear despair how in the world can i do this How can I possibly be more righteous than the scribes or the Pharisees? Now Jesus wants to make it perfectly clear that just external adherence to the moral laws does not bring anybody into the kingdom of God. So he says that unless your ethical living exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to spend eternity in the presence of the Father because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. His audience would have been left in utter despair with the realization that none of them even comes close to measuring up to the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, let alone exceeding it. And I talk about setting the bar too high. I mean, God, you might as well send me to hell now. There's no way I'm going to make this. We need to understand that the law sends us to Jesus to be justified because it shows our inability to please God in ourselves with the laws and knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. But after we come to Jesus, Jesus sends us back to the law to learn the heart of God for our conduct and our sanctification. We learn about the character of God. We learn about the holiness of God by looking at the law. We can exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, not not in kind, but in degree. The reason is, when we come to Christ to be saved, our righteousness is Christ's righteousness. Not self-righteousness. That was the scribes and Pharisees' whole problem. I'm keeping all the law. I'm closer to God than you. And they bragged about this and boasted about this and made a big show of this. So how can our righteousness possibly exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? Because it's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ given to us by our faith in him. This is where Christ wanted their thinking to dwell. No one is able to exceed the ethical standards that the Pharisees had erected, and and, and so it was necessary for somebody better than Moses, somebody better than David, somebody better than the Pharisees to come along and fulfill it for them. And we think of the scribes and Pharisees' relationship to, the, to, to righteousness. I mean, look, please don't misunderstand the point here. Jesus is not saying that you can earn your way into the kingdom of heaven if you're more righteous than somebody else. That, that's the farthest thing from anything he's saying. He's dealing with those who thought that their own righteousness, that their own performance could gain them entrance into the kingdom. Jesus is in fact explaining the most dramatic in the most dramatic terms the the the, the impossibility of salvation apart from grace. The point is, is not that, that right living or, or righteousness is not important. It is extremely important. The fact is, is that, that right living is, is, is paramount for the believer, but what Jesus is saying is that it will never earn your way to heaven. You can never be good enough. You can never keep the law enough to get you into heaven. Jesus is saying that there will never uh, be any way to heaven but through him. That the only righteousness that counts at all is that which is based on a heart-motivated obedience that comes because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We live the right way, not in order to be saved. We live the right way as evidence that we have been saved. But more to the point in our day is the recognition that people on the whole are experts, like the scribes and Pharisees were, at justifying themselves. People have a very unique ability to convince themselves that no matter what they've done, they're okay. I mean, you think about it, uh, how many times have you heard someone say, well, it, you know, it wasn't the best choice, but yeah, it'll work out all right, or... Yes, I know I shouldn't have done that, but but it's okay. It's I mean it's not like I do it all the time. Yeah, when people excuse themselves or justify their behavior, they're they're refusing to recognize someone greater than themselves has as a a a, a standard that they don't measure up to. One of the major problems in our times is that people have lost the desire. To appeal to a standard outside themselves for personal righteousness, and there's a price to pay if you reject the standard of God's word, because there is no when 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 there is no absolute truth, people make up their own standard. We've seen that take place. They compare themselves to that standard, and surprise, surprise, they measure up to the standard that they've made for themselves. It's one of the best features of. Uh, you know, your own personal standard of righteousness is, uh, is custom made to your own idiosyncrasies. And we could probably better call it idiot-syncrasies, right? Because really, I-, I mean, it's just plain stupid to think that we can come up with our own standard and, and it have any real lasting value. It's like finding a gum wrapper writing the number thousand on it and thinking you have a thousand dollars that's what setting up your own standard of righteousness does essentially it's worthless you need a standard outside yourself you need an objective standard of truth and righteousness and that is the word of god what jesus is saying here is this he's saying i'm calling you to a level of behavior that is more than just conformity to a list of do's and don'ts true righteousness begins in the heart now this shows that if the only righteousness you have is that of the scribes and pharisees if the only righteousness you have is self-righteousness then you won't make it it's that simple you must be of the kingdom to be in the kingdom you must have Christ's righteousness and not your own. So, so, so stop kidding yourself. Stop kidding yourself about you, about your kids, about your friends, about old Aunt Martha, uh, about them being good enough on their own. You or they won't make it with their own righteousness. You will not get to heaven because you think you are righteous you will only get to heaven because you have christ's righteousness because you have trusted him as your savior and there is no other way let's see if we can wrap this up what does all this tell us well first of all it tells us it's, it's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven without faith in christ From an an, an eternal perspective, the scribes and Pharisees, they were very religious. They prided themselves on keeping all the detailed rules and regulations that had been developed within Judaism since the time that God had given it to Moses on Mount Sinai. But from a human perspective, if anyone could attain a righteousness that would punch their ticket into heaven, it would have been these guys. But from God's perspective, which is the only one that matters, from God's perspective, that righteousness was clearly only external and it was self-centered. And because it was, it was inadequate to place anyone in the kingdom In effect, what Jesus was saying was this, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how much money you put in the offering box. It doesn't matter how eloquently you pray in public or how many so-called righteous acts you do so that others will see them and think more highly of you. None of that measures up to the standard that I, Jesus says, has set forth in my word. The only way You're going to reach the standard is through faith in me, Jesus says, because I am the one who has completely and totally fulfilled that standard. So the first observation has significant implications for all of us here this morning. First, if you have ever, uh, ever, if you've ever thought yourself good enough, I hate to be the one to break it to you but you're not good enough. If you have never recognized the insufficiency of your own external righteousness, and if you've never placed your faith completely in the righteousness of Jesus, then you are not a part of the kingdom. That's not my opinion. You can take me completely out of the picture. The word of God still says what it says. This is what Jesus said. No amount of religiosity is ever going to make you right with God it is only by depending completely on the absolute righteousness of Jesus that you can be right with God the second observation is that the key to living in the kingdom of heaven is it's upholding the word of God In the first 16 verses of this chapter, Jesus has described the character of a citizen of heaven. Uh, Then he describes how his followers were to be a positive influence in the world. You know, there'd be salt and light. It's not easy to live that kind of life. I mean, it is difficult. It's going to bring, according to verses 10 and 11, it's going to bring persecution, it's as if Jesus understood what his audience was thinking as they pondered how they could possibly live at a higher standard than the scribes and Pharisees. And his answer to them was simple. Uh, You need to uphold the word of God like I am upholding the word of God. For Jesus, the question again is not, do I have to keep this commandment? No, the question is, how can I keep this commandment? And if Jesus... uh, demonstrated such a high regard for God's word then listen believer if Jesus holds his own word in such high regard then we obviously need to do the same thing so if I want to function as an effective citizen in the kingdom of God then I need to uphold God's word by living my life according to what it contains which means I have to know what it contains which means I have to become a student of what it contains. The principle leads directly to the final observation. What I do or don't do with the word of God has eternal consequences for me and for those around me. Eternal consequences for you, eternal consequences for those who you influence. You know, in the United States, judicial system, the highest court in the land is the United States Supreme Court, right? So once your case is heard there and it's decided there, you're pretty much done. If you didn't win there, you're not going to win at all. <laughs> you might as well give up, right? In the same fashion, the word of God is our supreme court. It's our appeal. It's our final appeal. It is the final authority for our faith and practice. Look, two weeks ago, I sat in that coffee shop over there talking to a Catholic friend, and we went round and round and round because as, as, as good a people as our Catholic friends are, they do not hold the word of God as their only authority for faith and practice. It is one of the authorities, but it is not the authority. It does not have final authority. It is not the final place of appeal for them. All right? and, and if they don't hold to the authority of the word of God, how can they know the God of these scriptures? We love them, but, 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 but the word of God is our final authority. It's the absolute unchanging standard of truth. The word of God stands written uh, beyond any alliteration or recall the word of God is even more permanent than the universe itself. Even though the heavens and earth shall pass away, nothing from the word of God is going to pass until everything in it speaks of everything it speaks of has has come to pass. We need to fall in love again with the word of God, with the authority of the word of God, with the impeccability of the word of God. It is how we learn about our Jesus. It's how we fall in love with him again and again and again. How can we not desire to love it and know it more than we do. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. God's word is settled in heaven. We say we love Jesus, but talk is cheap. If you say you love Jesus, you have to love his word. And if you love his word, you have to love obeying his word. That's between you and God. So let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for um, a look in, in, into your heart. About what you have written us, we know from John chapter one that Jesus is the very expression, the embodiment of of all that you are father. we know that the scriptures the written word Lord we understand that 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 when it's open your mouth is open and as as we read it you are speaking father we we are so easily distracted we are so easily preoccupied help us father not just to be doers of the word or i'm sorry not to be hearers of the word but doers not hearers only but to be doers as well father your word here says that if we do and teach we will be great in the kingdom and lord we don't serve you for what we can get out of it but it demonstrates lord how you feel about those who do and don't teach and live by your word lord we just want to love you more we want to express that love by obedience and 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 we want to know what you want from us we want to be closer to you we understand that you speak through your word, that your spirit gives us understanding. So, Lord, give us a love for your word. Give us a love for its authority. And, Father, we do pray for anyone here this morning that, that, that doesn't know Jesus as Savior. They're, they're not in the kingdom. They've never trusted Jesus to save them. They're depending on their own righteousness. And, Lord, it's going to end so horribly bad for them. I pray that you would convict them of their sin. Draw them to yourself through faith in Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We, we know nobody comes to the Father, to you, but through your Son, Jesus. Work in them, please, Father, to, to, to convict and to draw. Bring them to repentance and faith, that they may be in the kingdom. Thank you that you're a loving God, a loving King, a grace-filled King. And we get to serve you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Keith, would you come?